0: I want you to think, what are the two questions you ask whenever you find out a baby has been born? What's his name? How heavy, How heavy it was. Have you ever thought what a strange question that is? You know, it's the only time in life that you ask that question. I just want like you to imagine, you know, you've got a friend and you find out he's just got engaged. And you say, what's the name of your fiance And give you the name. How much does she weigh? It'd just be outrageous, wouldn't it? You know, really, really rude question to ask somebody. But think about the name thing. You know, names can be important, can't they? Names can be really, really significant. When Timothy was born, we we decided what name we were going to give him. And then when he was born, I took one look at him and thought, the name's not right. He doesn't look like the name we were going to give him. And so I said to Claire, "said we need to call him Timothy, and she said, yeah, that sounds all right. So he's Timothy. But then I went home, I was so tired, I sent an email around to all the family saying he was called Tom. (laughs) Which was the name of the cat at the time. (laughs) We often plans in life change, don't they? Often when we're faced with different realities, things change and we make different decisions. And that's because we can get caught out. Circumstances can catch us out and make us change things. I don't know if you've been really struck by the news that's been on this week. You know, about the, the terrible flooding across the north of the country. And I've just been thinking, of you know, how many sets of people's plans have been changed because we've been caught out by the rain? Because our flood defences have once again been found wanting. People who were thinking they were going to be celebrating Christmas in a certain way have now had those plans ruined. And it's right that we pray, and it's right that we do what we can to support. But you know, God's plans are very different to our plans. When God says something, God will not get caught out. When the prophets spoke about Jesus as to who he would be, God didn't then look at him later and think, oh, he's something different. Everything ties in with what God had seen. Because when God promises something, it will take place. So do you want to get your Bibles? And we're going to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're only looking at a of verses of this this morning. So Isaiah chapter 9, not Acts chapter 17. But Isaiah chapter 9, page 659, and we're going to read verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign David for his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you that when you have promised, you will fulfill your promises. We thank you that when you have spoken, your words are trustworthy and will take place. And Lord, as we look at these titles of the Messiah, the one who was to come, we just thank you for those incredible names that were prophesied that Jesus would hold. And we thank you that as we have seen, Jesus fulfills all of this. So Lord, just inspire us this morning. Keep our eyes fixed on you, we ask. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Isaiah wrote these words probably seven, 800 years before Jesus came. Centuries and centuries before. Now last Sunday morning, I remember having a conversation with somebody, but I can't remember who it was with. So this was you, just wave at me, and, and I'll acknowledge you when I'm saying this. But I was talking to somebody about evidence for the resurrection... And how important it is to realise that our Christian faith is rooted in history. And that it's rooted on historical events. Nobody's waving, so I might have imagined that conversation. But it's important that as we look at our Bibles, that right the way through the scriptures, we realise that we're looking at God's words that happen in space and time, that they're real events. And as we read in the book of Isaiah, there are some important historical bits that actually really help me. They may help you, so, so just see if you find this encouraging. In 1947, a shepherd was looking after some goats. And he happened to stumble into a cave. And in this cave, he found a load of clay jars. And there were scrolls in these clay jars. And they turned out to be what's called the Dead Sea Scrolls. And within these scrolls, there is a whole book of Isaiah. In Hebrew, dating from the 3rd century BC. I can look this up on Wikipedia. I'm always giving you homework to do on a Sunday afternoon. It's not as exciting as watching The Mr. Men. But if you go onto Wikipedia and look up the Isaiah scrolls, you can read all about this. And what this does to me is it says that actually we're reading this book of Isaiah and we know this existed hundreds of years before Jesus was born. There's not a question mark over it, it's not wishful thinking, it's historical fact. We know it existed. We know that the Jews at the time of Isaiah were living with this hope that the Messiah would come, that God would send somebody. And do you know, I find that really encouraging. That as we read these words this morning, we know that they're based and rooted in history. In something that took place. We know some people are never happy. And there are some people who will argue that actually Isaiah is not writing about Jesus, he's not writing about the Messiah, the one who is to come. But rather, he's writing about King Hezekiah, the one who was born around the time he was writing. And that actually, he's talking about some nice things that he hoped Hezekiah would be. You know, that is absolute nonsense. Because Isaiah talks about the one who is to come as being God, about being royal, about being divine. No God-fearing Jew would put those titles onto a human being. This is about God himself coming. The Messiah is going to be God himself. So I want us to look this morning... Titles that we get for Jesus. Here's one of them Wonderful Counselor. I got a Christmas card this week. In fact, I got several, but this one stood out. And I forgot to bring it. It's on the kitchen side. I was going to bring it in to read to you, but I can tell you what was in it. It said, Dear Jonathan, have a great Christmas and a prosperous new year from Wendy. Well, that doesn't sound very exciting, does it? I was thinking, who's Wendy? And then it said underneath, this is all in handwriting. I think. Your friendly mortgage advisor from RBS, <laughs> Scunthorpe. So I'm getting a Christmas card from my financial advisor who I saw, what, three or four years ago in Scunthorpe. And I felt fulfilled. Of course I did. We <laughs> you know, life is full of advice givers, isn't it? We can have mortgage advice. We can have financial advice. We can have marriage advice. We can have family advice. You can get advice on what car to buy. You probably have friends who will advise you about anything and everything, whether they know anything about it or not. And we get bombarded with advice. But Isaiah is prophesying here. He's sharing God's heart that actually one who will come will not just be an advice giver in the way that we give advice as humans, but he will do something totally different. See, the word wonderful here means more or less Supernatural. Now, I mean supernatural in the sense that it goes beyond the natural. It's God-given advice, God-ordained advice. Jesus is the one who will come, who will bring godly counsel. And as we open our scriptures, as we open the Gospels, and we see what Jesus said and how Jesus taught, it's not just good ideas, is it? But it's God's heart. It's God's word. It's the living words of the living God. But our world relies an awful lot on knowledge and not a lot on godly wisdom. There's a lot of difference between wisdom and knowledge. Knowledge is about having the information. So for an example, you know, I have the knowledge of how to speak English. I think most of us here do that. We know how to speak. We can communicate with one another. We have the knowledge of speech. Wisdom is knowing how to use those words in the right way massive difference, isn't there? One is just knowledge, the other is wisdom. And the deeper wisdom is knowing how to use those words in a godly way. That's wisdom. So the one who brings counsel is not going to come and bring just information about God. But he's going to come and show us God's heart, because he's God himself. Now, are you in need of wisdom today? Are you in need of the wonderful counsellor? Are you in need of God's heart? Now, it may be in your finance. It might well be that that is an area where you need godly wisdom. It may be in your family's life. It may be in how you do Christmas this year, just something very simple. There's an amazing verse in James 1, verse 5. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all, without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Isaiah spoke, God fulfilled his word. There's a promise here in James. You know, if we pray for wisdom, God has promised he will give it to us. The wonderful counselor will fulfill his promises. Second title we find in this passage is Mighty God. The word mighty here has a bit of a heroic ring to it. It sort of means hero God. That, that's really how we can translate it. And sort of first things first, Isaiah is promising that the one who is to come... The one who will be born in Bethlehem 700 years down the line He is going to be God Mighty God, you cannot get round that He is God himself No God-fearing Jew will say that About anybody other than God But life is full of heroes, isn't it? Who's eaten some hero's chocolate already This Christmas, so those Cadbury's chocolates. Yeah, I'm putting my hand up there I won't ask the next one, but hero is a, a Make of dog food from Morrison's as well If you've been eating that, you know You need to come and see me But we look for heroes all over the place, don't we? You know, some people will have heroes in the world of sport or the world of music or possibly even politics. And I think a hero is somebody we look to who does things that we cannot do. So if I look at, you know, a sporting hero, somebody who can run incredibly fast, say Usain Bolt or somebody, he does something that I cannot do. So there's a tendency to put that person up on a pedestal. You know, Jesus, as the mighty God, as the hero God, He does things that we cannot do. He does things that we can't do. He pays the price for our sin. You know, we cannot do that. But in a few moments at Communion, remember what Jesus did on Calvary, don't we? That Jesus took the price for sin. He died in our place. He fulfills the law. He lived the perfect life. We cannot do that. We can't do that. He will open the doors of eternity to us if we trust in him. We can't do those things. For what does the Bible promise? We will reign with him forever because he is the mighty God. Jesus who came was all that the Old Testaments had spoken about. And I look at our world and I think, you know, our world is obsessed with, with celebrity, isn't it? Now, you only need to walk into Smith's or somewhere and you see all the different magazines that are just literally about celebrity, about people looking for heroes. You know, the more I look at that, the more I think the world needs a better hero, doesn't it? We know who that better hero is. He's the mighty God, Jesus, the Messiah, the one who came, the one who Isaiah spoke about. I just want to ask you, is that Jesus? Is he really your hero today? In that sense that he does the things you cannot do? Do you trust him for that? Are you worshipping him for that? Are you honouring him for that? Third title, Everlasting Father. Again, this causes problems for the people who would say this is about Hezekiah, because no Jew would call um, a king of Israel father. It was only a title that was reserved for God himself. So what does it mean? Why is Jesus called Everlasting Father here? It's surely, you know, we, we think about God as God the Father, and Jesus as Jesus the Son, well, Charles Spurgeon, who was a great Baptist preacher, he wrote about this, and he said that we mustn't get confused here. And I'm just going to paraphrase what he said, because it's a really long, long-winded long paragraph. But he says this, This isn't about Jesus being the Father like God is the Father. Jesus is the Son, and in the Trinity we relate to him like that. But rather, Jesus is our Father in the sense that he cares for us like a father. Does that make sense? It's about parental care that Jesus has for us. I don't know what your experience has been of parental care, of your own parents. You know, for some of us, that would have been a good experience. For others, that would have been a very painful experience. And it may be hard, as we try and relate to the, the care that Jesus offers, to think of it in these terms. But I'm thinking about myself. You know, As a parent, I'm a disappointment. I'm a disappointment not only to myself, but regularly to my boys who will encourage me by telling me that. (laughs) And that is for no other reason than, than I'm a human being. And as human beings, we get stuff wrong. You know, there are times when I'm selfish and I don't care in the way that I should do. There are times when I'm grumpy and the boys bear the brunt of it for no other reason than I'm there and I'm grumpy and they're in the way. You know, Jesus will not be like that. He will not disappoint in the way he cares for us. It says Matthew 11, 28-30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We relate to one another as fallen human beings. The parent-child relationship on earth is two human beings that are fallen. Jesus does not relate to us as a fallen human being, but he relates to us as his children perfectly. He relates to us perfectly. He will care for us perfectly. Those um, beautiful verses in Matthew, Jesus simply says, you know, come to me. Lay your burdens down. Lay the things down of life that are troubling with you, and I will care for you and nurture you and walk with you through that. As a child, my my view of my own parents was that they would fix things in life. Now, they're probably listening online in a couple of weeks' time, so I have to be quite careful what I say. (laughs) But if something went wrong with the house or with the car or if something went wrong at school, my idea was that they would put it right. And I think some of that has carried on into adulthood. I I still think my dad will fix things. Um, And there was a few weeks ago, we were travelling down to London, and we've got this in-car DVD player that's about third-hand, it's ancient. Um, But the the thing where you plug it in had broken, so you could get no power to it. So I went in to my dad with all these bits of plastic in my hand and a couple of wires, and said, can you fix this? Now, I wouldn't have stood a chance of fixing that at all. But I thought, he will fix it, sure enough. Half an hour later, the smell of soldering coming through the house. It's fixed. Stronger than it had been to start with. But that's a kind of childlike trust, isn't it? Sometimes we carry that on into adulthood. The thought that somebody will fix things. But you know, we can have that childlike trust in Jesus. He will fix things. He has promised that one day, every, if we're following him and obeying him, will be put right. And we will be with him forever. Now, in this life, this doesn't mean that problems are going to vanish overnight. It does not mean that. There is no indication in Scripture at all that we get health, wealth, and happiness. But what it does mean is that we walk through life with the confidence of knowing that we're held in the arms of Jesus. And in an eternal perspective, all our stress, all our strain, all our burdens are held by him. I just wonder, do you unburden yourself to Jesus? Do you let Jesus care for you in the way that he has promised you? you know, how do we do that? It's easy to talk about, isn't it? It's actually quite hard to put that into practice sometimes. You know, the, the first obvious way is that we pray. We seek God, we can do that on our own, we can do it in the quietness of our own heart. But personally, I quite often find that if I do that just by myself, and I'm unburdening onto the Lord, I have a nasty tendency of going and collecting it back off him at a later stage, and worrying about whatever it is again, and picking it all back up. And quite often, I will find it much easier to pray with somebody else, and to say, would you walk this through with me? You help me speak Jesus with this. And that's why, you know, as a church, I'm passionate that we pray for one another. Prayer isn't just for emergencies. Prayer is for everyday life. When we need to unburden, when we need to seek the Lord, when we need to come to Jesus with our cares and those worries of life, that we can come to him and we can share that with one another in a journey of discipleship. So Jesus is the everlasting father. And the fourth one, Jesus is the prince of peace. Prince is a royal title. Israel had wanted a king. If you know the Old Testament accounts of how Israel ended up with a king, they first of all were ruled by judges, but the people didn't like that. They wanted the security of having a monarch, of having a king, of having a figurehead who would lead them into battle, and they got Saul. Saul turned out to be a bit of a disappointment in the end, so they got David, who started off brilliantly, but then ended up sinning rather badly and made a bit of a mess of things. And then Solomon becomes king. Solomon asks for wisdom. Everything's going brilliantly well. The temple is built. God is honoured. Then he has all these wives and they lead him astray and it all goes badly wrong. And then the kingdom from that point on separates into two and it all starts to go down and down and down. The security that the kings were to bring, the peace that they were to bring, was short-lived. It wouldn't last. David's successors ultimately fail. But the hope in these verses is that there is one coming who will sit on David's throne, who will bring peace, whose kingdom will never end, who will succeed, but not in the way that the people in Isaiah's way would have thought. Has anybody sat an exam recently? Just put your hands up if you sat an exam recently. Okay, what was it like? Was it good? Uh, sorry. What was it? <laughs> It went all right. What was the exam room like? Was it quiet? Yeah. Right, okay. Because I can remember sitting in exams and thinking, when you sat in the exam room, it's a really peaceful place? Outwardly. So there is no noise, there's just all these people sat orderly and writing and scribbling away. But actually, inside, there is probably the greatest amount of stress that you ever feel in your life. You're trying desperately to remember stuff and think, how am I going to do all this in the however long you've got? Because inner peace is something totally different to outer peace. Inner peace is something totally different. If two countries have been fighting a war, you can't finish that war and bring peace by fighting. You know, that just ends the actual violence. Peace is about relationship. Peace is about wholeness in relationship. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, coming into our world to bring peace. Peace between us and God, and then calling us to be peacemakers with one another. But what kind of peace? You know, Jesus doesn't come and say, I'm going to bring you the hushness of the exam room. He doesn't come and say, I'm going to just bring you an absence of conflict. But he says in John 14, verse 27, Peace I live with you. Leave with you, sorry. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. There's a word that's rather richer than peace and it's the word shalom. It's a Hebrew word that you can trace right back through the Old Testament. It appears 237 times. And it's a word that is to do with the wholeness and completeness that we can find in knowing God. The well-being of God. That's the kind of peace that Jesus comes to bring. Knowing that we are held by God. Knowing the completeness of trust of God. We have counsel. We've we've seen this built layer upon layer as Isaiah has spoken. Wisdom. We have the hero in Jesus. We have the one who steps into the gap that we can't do. We have one who loves us with the tenderness of a parent. We've got this layer upon layer, idea upon idea. The royal divine child will rule and reign. And then the promise. His kingdom will grow. His kingdom will grow. You know, we've seen that, haven't we? The last 2,000 years, the church keeps growing and growing and growing. We're used to the decline of the Western church. But you look at different parts of the world, the church is growing like wildfire as God's kingdom keeps increasing in people's hearts and lives. And one day, it will be complete when Jesus returns. Just as Isaiah had promised that Jesus would come, so there's promises that Jesus' return will take place. One day, he will return. Claire went out for the the meal on on Tuesday night, you know, the church meal, raising funds for Rebuild. And as she was out, I thought I would um, make a Christmas cake, as you do. And that's not because I'm particularly, you know, the kind of new man who who goes around doing housework at all available hours of the day and night. It wasn't because I was feeling particularly domesticated, but it's just because I love Christmas cake. (laughs) And if I don't make one... Nobody else in our house will, and I'll end up with some kind of you know, shop-bought one that I don't particularly like. So I made this, this Christmas cake, and all the ingredients go in. You know, you've got, you've got your um, fruits and your spices and your sugar and your treacle, and then um, me and Nathaniel marzipaned it, and then we all helped to ice it yesterday, and it's looking great. I was going to take a picture of it, but I thought it might lead me to pride, so I didn't. <laughs> but there is a richness and a fullness to a Christmas cake, isn't there? And you put, you know, your shop-bought netto sponge at the side of it, and it looks a bit feeble, compared to these rich, complex flavours of the Christmas cake. You know, the, I've just been thinking this week, the more we delve into who Jesus is, the more rich and complex and, you know, rich the, the picture is of Jesus. You know, Look at those titles on the screen. Look at the wealth and the depth that we get here. And this is just one passage. There are many more that point to Jesus in the Old Testament. I don't know where you're up to this morning. I don't know whether in the run up to Christmas you're you're feeling actually um, in a good place, whether you're feeling absolutely frazzled, whether you're feeling, actually Christmas is such a difficult time because it brings back really hard memories, whether you're feeling lonely, whether you're feeling like you just want it all to be over. But can I encourage you to just stop and to pause and to think who it is that we're going to celebrate being born in that stable. It's not just some baby. not just a random child. But it's the saviour of the world. It's the one who was spoken of hundreds of years before he was born. The one who would fulfil all of God's promises of a saviour. The one who has come and the one who one day will return in glory. He is the one, the wonderful counsellor, mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's with us now by his Spirit, and we come to remember him just in a few moments in bread and wine. Can I just encourage us to spend a few moments in quiet? I'm going to ask the servers who are coming out to serve communion to come forward. But just keep reflecting on those names of Jesus, what those mean, and how those may apply to your life this morning.